0: Hey guys, welcome to Revo. Let me catch you up on where we're at right now. We are on the back end of a series called Adult Content uh, as we've been walking through the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy uh, was a a book written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, He was a a religious gangster, a thug, loved to kill Christians. Jesus radically changed his life, uh, blinded him, said, I'm Jesus. You're persecuting me. You're going to be on my team now, so we're going to switch your message around. Paul dedicated his life to planning Churches and helping pastors and equipping people, just like you and me, to know what it means to follow Jesus. He finds this guy named Timothy, really high caliber leader. Uh, Timothy's a guy in his late twenties, leading a church of around fifteen thousand people. Uh, huge leadership capacity uh, from this guy. So Timothy uh, is noticed by the Apostle Paul. So Paul says this: Timothy, I tell you what, man, I'm going to take you on as my mentor. I'm going to be Batman. You're going to be Robin. We're going to save the world together, right? And so. Throughout the book of First Timothy, uh, Paul has been really just dropping what we call some adult content. This isn't like low entry level Christianity stuff. This is stuff that he's training leaders on, people that are wanting to take their step to move forward in the next relationship, in their next step in their relationship with Jesus. And 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 for you here, if if, if that's not you, you're going to get an opportunity this morning to see some of the characteristics of what it looks like to follow Jesus. If you're here and you're wanting to know what is my next step. What does it look like for me to grow in this relationship with Jesus? Paul just, just gets down into this, this letter with Timothy and says, this is what it looks like. This is what your life is supposed to look like, the doctrine, the things that, that you're supposed to follow as a follower of Jesus. And so let me, let me set it up like this. Um, social media, everybody on social media? Facebook, show of hands, audience participation. Uh, Twitter, no Twi- Instagram. Instagram, right. Selfies. Okay, good. Even if you're not on it, if you don't know what social media is, you need to get out more. Um, I'm fine with social media. I I do social media, posting pictures, updates, whatever. Uh, I'm fine with it, but we need to understand something. You need to know something about social media. With social media, you are only getting half of the story. Did you know that? Like you, People, when they post pictures, when they give updates, when they share about their life, they are only telling you a portion of their life, and it is almost always the good stuff. Nobody ever posts the bad stuff on social media. Uh, I'll give you some examples. Um, if you go to an expensive restaurant and you eat a nice meal, there are these weird people that they like to take pictures of their food, and they like to post pictures of their food so that other people can look at what they're eating, right? But, and so if you go to a nice restaurant and you're eating a steak or you go to a place where it's really plated well and it looks great, sometimes you'll take a picture of that and you'll post it on Instagram or social media, get the right angle and the right filter, right? And, and you want to make all your friends jealous. But here's, here's something that never happens. No one ever takes a peanut butter and jelly sandwich to work. On Wednesday, and for some reason, the, the sandwich got in the bottom of their bag, and it got smashed. And the gel—you put too much jelly on it, and it's bleeding into the top piece. Nobody pulls that out on a, on a Wednesday at twelve o'clock at their desk and takes a picture of it. Nobody does that. Only only the nice meals. Um, if you go to the mall and you buy some new clothes, maybe you've got a, like you get a new cute outfit. I just say cute outfit? That's weird. <laughs> wow! Weird. So if you get some nice clothes, uh, what happens? You either lay them out in your bed and you're wanting to take a picture of them, or you take a selfie of yourself in the dressing room mirror. Please stop that, young white girls, please. Um, <laughs> Like We all want to post that. We always say, look at my new outfit, look at my clothes, look at what's going on, like hashtag pumpkin spice latte, whatever else you want to do with that. Uh, but here's the deal. Here's what never happens. You never have somebody that posts a picture of themselves um, with the caption, haven't done laundry in a week and my iron broke. Look at how good I look today. Nobody posts that kind of stuff. If you get a new hairdo or something, or it's a new color, or it's like a really fashionable cut, we want to we put that camera way out and get it locked in. Like, we want to share that. We want to brag about that. But nobody ever gets up in the morning and, and says, Hey, it looks like two squirrels built a nest in my hair while I was sleeping. Check it out. I haven't even combed it yet. Nobody, nobody does that. It's only, only the good pictures, never the difficult ones. Do you have friends that travel? Um, people that travel, they always want to post pictures of where they go, and they do the filters and the colors and change it up, and it looks really cool, and you're like, wow, I can't believe you're there, That's, this is awesome, but, but no one ever posts a picture at 10 o'clock on a Thursday afternoon of, hey, this is where I'm at today, and it's a picture of their cubicle wall. Nobody ever does that. Like that's not, they're not telling you the whole story. They're just, they're just sharing with you the fun times, the exciting things that they have. This is the time of year where people will begin to post pictures of them when they go on vacation. Uh, maybe they're at the beach um, and, and they got a suntan, they got a bathing suit on and they're, they're taking pictures. Hey, having a good time. I want to see somebody in late January put a bathing suit on and take a picture of their white pasty skin. And we all know that it's cold outside because we can tell you it hasn't been working out. Nobody posts that. It's always the good. It's never the bad. It's never real life. You just need to know that that Instagram, Facebook, social media, you're only seeing half the story. Because if you don't realize that, You will slowly, every day, you will begin to scroll through all of the pictures, all of the destinations, all of the nice meals, all of the new clothes. And subliminally, you will be scrolling through that and being like, I hate my life. This is terrible. Why are all my friends so awesome? Why are they traveling? Why are they eating steak dinners every night? Why do they have new clothes all the time? Needless to say, social media is not aiding in our journey to contentment. I wanna preach a message uh, about contentment this morning, but I gotta be honest with you. If there's a way that I could preach this message without using the word contentment, I would. Because there are people in this room that as soon as I said contentment, you turned it off. You're like, contentment? (laughs) Doesn't that mean like settling? Doesn't that mean being satisfied with where you are? It's Memorial Day, bro. This is un-American. What are you preaching on contentment on a, on a patriotic holiday like this? And, and we're convinced that this means settling. It means just throwing in the towel. It means just being satisfied with what you currently have and where you currently are. And that's, that's un-American. That's against the American dream. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants to talk about commi- contentment. You want to talk about like sealing the deal on a million-dollar business plan? I'll be there. But contentment? <laughs> like who? Who wants that? Why? Why would anybody in their right mind want to be content? Paul actually says uh, in in scripture, he's writing to Timothy, writing about uh, contentment. It, it, he says he uses this phrase. He says contentment is is there's great gain in it. Paul thought that it was extremely important for Timothy to know what contentment was and where to find it and what this word means because I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna pitch this out to you. Uh, if you don't know contentment, you will never be happy in your life. Did you know that? So like, if you showed up here this morning and like, you didn't know you were coming to church, somebody tricked you or they kidnapped you last night and brought you in here or you thought you were gonna come in and play at the children's museum, like you don't even have to love God for me to say, hey, does anybody here wanna be happy? Like You don't have to believe in Jesus. You don't have to have read this book. You don't, you don't have to be a religious person to say, yeah, happiness, check. I don't know of a single person that says, man, I wish I was not so happy all the time. Like I just want to wake up one morning and with a bad day in the middle of a conflict. It's just so frustrating that I'm so happy. I don't know anybody like that. But we'll see here that happiness is, is impossible without learning what contentment is. So if you want to be happy, if you want to have satisfaction, if you want to have joy in your life, Paul articulates here that it's necessary in our lives to understand what contentment is. It's valuable. It's, it's an incredible thing to, to feel contented in your life. Not discontent, not dissatisfied, not lack of any joy or happiness, but actually having contentment. So Paul, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he gives us this outline of why it is so important for you and I to know what contentment is and how to be content in our lives. If you have your app, you can do 1 Timothy chapter 6, or uh, the words will be on the screen. You can open up in your Bible, but here's here's the reasons why uh, Paul gives to Timothy why contentment is, is so good. Verse 6, now there is great gain in godliness with contentment, great gain. Like this, you, this is good, Timothy. You are gonna want this godliness through contentment. This is, man, this is good. You, you pay attention. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. So check this out, Timothy, when when I'm explaining to you why contentment is so important, you may be a skeptic here today, Timothy may have been a skeptic, he's a guy that pastors a church of 15,000 people, I don't want to settle, I don't want to be satisfied with what God's giving me, I want to reach more people, I want to do bigger things, I want to continue to set goals and reach them, I want to move forward in my life, so explain to me why contentment is so good. Paul begins to paint this picture, and he says, here's, here's number one reason why contentment is absolutely necessary in your life. He says because your life is short. You came into this world with nothing, you live a very short period of time and then you leave this world with nothing. James chapter 4 verse 14 says that your life is but a vapor here today and gone tomorrow. Here's what happens with contentment. I I get this response when I talk to people about contentment. Number one reason why people aren't interested in contentment right now. Uh, I want contentment, Nathan, but I'm going to postpone it. It's delayed contentment, right? I I hate what I'm doing right now, but the reason I'm doing it is because one day I'm going to be able to retire, and then I'm going to be content. Then I'm going to have everything I want, all the money, all the time, all the possessions. So, So, like, I'm willing to suck it up now, so that sometime later in life, I'll be content. Famous song, everybody is working for the weekend. I know people that work Monday through Friday and they hate what they do. There's no happiness, there's no satisfaction, there's no joy, and they will communicate to you. Yeah, but I'm just work I'm just trying to get to Saturday. Saturday is my day off. It's my free day. I get to hang out with the family or golf or hang, do something, do anything I want to, sleep in. That's what I do. I'm just gonna put up with Monday through Friday so that I can be content on Saturday and Sunday. I'm meeting people that are planning their summer vacation. Vacations right now, and that they're grinding it out. Fifty weeks out of the year, they are dissatisfied, unhappy, discontent, no significance, no purpose, no joy, no happiness in their life. But they're saying, "You know what, Nathan? I'm I'm, I'm taking that two week vacation in the summer. That that's going to be good. That's where my contentment. I'm going to have a lot of fun with that. So I, I can put up with stuff that I'm doing right now." So that maybe one day down the line, either next weekend or next summer or in 20 years when I end up retiring, that's when I'll ultimately be able to find contentment in my life. And here's the big danger uh, of contentment. Scripture says, you are not promised tomorrow. Did you know that? You're not promised tomorrow. You don't know that you're even going to live to the age of retirement. When you retire, you don't know how healthy you're going to be. When you saved up all this money to enjoy at your vacation or the weekend or the next big thing, you don't know what the financial markets are going to do between now and then. You you are not promised immunity from financial hardships in life. And so if you're waiting to enjoy contentment later, Paul says, do you understand how short your life is? Here's what's going to happen. One day of discontentment leads to two days. And two days leads to a week. And a week leads to a month. And a month leads to a year of discontentment. And before you know it, a year leads to a decade. And then you look back and you realize you've spent the majority of your life discontent, unhappy, no joy, no purpose. And the danger of it is the friends that you do have, you don't even enjoy. The money that you do have, you don't even enjoy. The time that you did have, you didn't even enjoy it. The, the popularity, the relationships, the possessions, you were so discontent and so lack of joy and happiness in your life, you weren't even able to enjoy what you had when you had it. Because we're on a constant pursuit of contentment that we think is way down the road. There's no way I can be content right now. I can't can't experience happiness and joy and satisfaction Monday through Friday. That's for Saturday. That's for the weekends. But Paul says, Timothy, if you'll you'll stop and realize how short your life is going to be, you'll realize that discontentment is a thief that robs you of satisfaction and joy and happiness that you and I could experience every single day. Timothy, contentment is important mainly because life is so brief. We have such a small window that we are here to be able to enjoy what God has given us. Don't fall into the trap that contentment is some goal that is way down the line that you can't experience in the here and now because that's the way that God has designed it to That's the way that he's intended it to be. We can have joy now. We can have happiness and satisfaction now. You can have it tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow's Monday. You can have it then, despite what you may be thinking right now. First step to finding contentment. The reason why it's so important is you got to understand life is short. You are not promised tomorrow. Your life is like a vapor here today and gone tomorrow. And I would hate for you to waste your life being discontent when you are not promised anything other than today. Paul keeps going in in verse eight gives us the second reason why contentment is so crucial and important. He says he says this. Um, but if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. He says, Timothy, when you got food and clothing, when you've got the necessities, he's not talking about literal food and clothing. He's talking about just the necessities of life. When you understand that you have the necess- necessities of life, you can learn how to be content. Now, Paul is doing a throwback to a sermon that Jesus preached um, called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus began to talk to people about their anxiety in life. He says, are you going to worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear? He said, look at the birds of the air. Doesn't God feed them? Look at the flowers of the field. They look a lot prettier than you do, right? God did that. And so he's, he's, Jesus is encouraging the congregation, don't be anxious about anything. Trust that God is going to provide. Trust that God is the sustainer. Trust that when God promises to take care of you, then that's exactly what he's going to do. So more than just food and clothes, like do, do you remember? God knows you need a toothbrush, right? God knows we need toilet paper and God knows we need bread and peanut butter and jelly and God knows the necessities that we need, right? So Paul looks at Timothy and says, Timothy, right when you think about being discontent, right when you think about being dissatisfied, I'd like to ask you this, Timothy, what about God? Isn't, God? isn't God good? Isn't God fair? Doesn't God provide? Isn't he the sustainer? Doesn't God know exactly what you need and exactly when you need it? What about God, Timothy? What about God? Right right when you want contentment, what are you going to look at? The, The food or the clothing or the things that you have? What about God? Isn't He good? Doesn't He promise to provide for you? Are you so discontent because you're worried about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear or what you're going to do tomorrow that you can't even enjoy what God has given you today? He gave it to you. It all comes from Him. You're not the provider or the sustainer. God is. And one of the quickest ways that we can move from contentedness to discontent is to take that control out of God's hands and say, I want to try to be the provider for my life. I want to try to be the sustainer in my life. I want to try to take control, and that'll, that'll worry you to death. You'll always be thinking about tomorrow. You'll be thinking about next week. You'll be thinking about next year. So give God his rightful title of sustainer and provider. Doesn't God give you everything that you need? Hasn't he always provided?" Let's find contentment in that. Number one, life is short. Don't waste it being discontent. But number two, remember that God provides for his people. God is the provider. God is the sustainer. Everything you need, he has always made it happen and provided in various shapes and forms in in your life. 9 and 10 read like this. He kind of switches gears here for a warning. He says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, "...into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through the craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs." Timothy begins to be warned by his his spiritual father, Paul, about contentment. He says, Timothy, I want you to understand this. Please do not look for contentment in the wrong places. There are so many people that are, if you ask them, do you want to be content? Yes, I want to be content, I want to be happy, I want to be satisfied, I want to have purpose, I want to have joy. But the problem is, you will never find what you're looking for if you are looking in the wrong place. Paul says, Timothy, please do not look in the wrong place for contentment. Please don't teach your people to look in the wrong place for contentment. Because as long as you look there, it will never be there. There are four major times in the New Testament where the concept and the idea of contentment is used, and it is not by accident that all four of the examples have to do with money. Anytime contentment is talked about in Scripture, it's connected with money. You know what that tells me? People are convinced that contentment can be fulfilled with the accumulation of more stuff. When we talk about contentment, it all is about more. More. If I had more, then I wouldn't have any problems. If I had more, then I could solve the problems that I do have. If I had more, then my life would be better. If I could just get to the next level, if I could get the next job, if I could get the next pay raise, if I could get the next friends, if I could get married, if I could have kids, if I could move, if I could move to the next season of my life, then I will be content. And Paul warns, do not look for contentment in the wrong place. There's a man by the name of uh, Howard Hughes, he was an aerospace engineer, he was an investor and an inventor, Uh, was born in the early 1900s and lived through the Great Depression, but despite being in America during a very difficult time, um, his approximate worth during the Great Depression was $1.5 billion. He was the richest man in the entire world. A reporter once sat down with him and said, what would it take for a guy to be satisfied? What would it take for man today to be happy? And Mr. Hughes looked off for a minute and said, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more and I'd be happy. If you had just a little bit more, you'd be happy. See, this guy had $1.5 billion in the 1930s, richest man in the world, and he said, for me to be happy, I just need a little bit more. I'd be satisfied if I just had more. More money, more friends, more possessions, more popularity, more uh, leadership at work, more responsibility, like I, just, I just need a, a, a little bit more. And I wanna clarify something, because this happens anytime we, we talk about money. Like God is not against nice stuff. Uh, in fact, he gave you all your nice stuff, so he's not against it, right? God's not against money, he's not against being rich, he's not against having stuff. Here's what Paul warns us about. It's not bad to have stuff, You just need to make sure you know that your stuff is not going to bring you contentment. I want you to have stuff. I love stuff. I want you to work hard. I want you to get a raise. I want you to buy a house at the beach, and I want you to invite me to it this summer. I'm for it. I want you to get the promotion. I want you to be super-duper rich, have lots of cash, buy a lake house, a fast boat, and some jet skis, and I'm going to come hang out with you. I'm for it. Paul is not against riches, Jesus is not against riches, God is not against riches, but he says, but listen, if you think that contentment comes with more stuff, you are not going to find it. If you're convinced that the reason you want more riches and the reason you got to have more stuff is because one day that stuff is going to make you happy, you're wrong. You're looking in the wrong place for the right thing. Timothy, please don't teach your people that contentment is found in the accumulation of more stuff. Don't think that that this void in your life, this happiness, this level of satisfaction will one day be obtained through the acquiring of simply more. It doesn't take very long for you to understand that more is a ceiling that we never reach. As soon as you get more, you got to have more. Ecclesiastes five eleven like, 5.10 reads like this. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. It, you'll never get there. You'll always want me. To, if your pursuit is more, you will never get there. You'll work your whole life trying to reach this status of contentment. And you're looking in a place... that that doesn't have it. Listen to the the, the colorful language that Paul uses with Timothy when he describes people that are trying to find contentment in riches and and, and, in buying things. He he describes their their behavior as senseless. You ever ever met someone that you're looking at their life and you're like, that just doesn't even make sense. (laughs) Like, what you're doing, what you're saying, how you're spending your time and your money and the way that you're like stepping on people to try to get to, that just doesn't even make sense. What are you doing? Paul says that's, that's what it looks like when somebody is trying to pursue contentment based on what they can have and what they can buy. He even calls it harmful. It destroys. He says some people will actually walk away from their faith. It's harmful to you. You, you are willing to do anything in pursuit of more. You'll say anything, you'll do anything, you'll do things that you promised that you would never do. You'll, you'll step on people and you'll abuse people and you'll, you'll do shady stuff at work thinking, I would never do that, but Scripture says that the, the love of money, now this is one of the most misquoted uh, verses in all of Scripture. It doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So listen, here's, here's love of money. Love of money is not this innocent, like, I'd like to have some more money. Like, I, I would like a promotion. I would like to, to get paid more at work. It's not this innocent emotion that we feel the love of money that Paul's talking about here is it's a lust. He's like, I have to have it. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I will work all hours. I will sacrifice my family and my kids and my, my character and my integrity. I have to have more money. That's the lust of money, and it's the root of what Scripture says, all kinds of evils. Because here's the thing, when, when greed and, and discontentment and the lust of money comes into your life, you are willing to do whatever it takes to get it. That can lead to lying, cheating, stealing, compromising your character and your integrity, turning your back on your wife, turning your back on your husband, on your family, turning your back on Jesus, turning your back on the church. And it all starts with this greed and lust for money and contentment that comes with stuff. It's a, man, it's a, it's a dark path that many people go to. And Paul says, the love of that money leads you down a path that you don't want to go. You'll be chasing that for your entire life. It's a, it's a breeding ground for other sin, thousands of other sins that all start with just, just an overwhelming desire to have more that is ultimately driven by this discontent in our lives. You can have contentment. I'm, I'm here to tell you, like it's con- contentment is here for the taking, but you have to make sure you're not looking in the wrong spot because you can look all day long for the right thing in the wrong place and you will never find it. You'll spin your wheels your whole life in pursuit of what you think is something that is way out of reach, way out of touch. And because of the brevity of life and because you don't trust God to provide and sustain you, you'll be discontent and you'll waste the whole thing. Paul says you're going to miss it. (laughs) You're going to miss it by not understanding what this contentment is really all about. So I got good news. Uh, like if you're, if you're with me, hopefully over the last few minutes I've changed your mind that contentment is not un-American, that it's not a curse word, that it's not throwing in the towel, that it's not just being said. Here, here's one way I like to put it. Contentment is, n- is being satisfied with what you have but not with who you are right? So keep growing, keep pushing, keep setting goals, keep keep doing things in your life, keep moving forward in your relationship with Jesus. But when God provides and God sustains and God gives and God blesses, be content, be settled with what you have. Not settling, but be settled in your heart with what you have that that only Jesus can provide. Here's Here's the thing, you can learn it. Paul admitted that he had to learn it, uh, if you don't know contentment, if you're thinking, man, that satisfaction, joy sounds really good right now. Like, can you tell me where it's at? Can you, t- can you tell me what happens? Can you tell me this, the secret to it? Paul actually had to learn it himself. He didn't know it. He had to learn it, and he had to understand what it is. And he actually uh, wrote this in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Is about contentment. Paul writes this, I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret, listen to this, I've learned the secret to being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. Paul says, I've had it both ways, guys. I've been popular, I've been rich, I've been of the ruling class. I've had it all. But I've also been persecuted after I gave my life to Jesus. I've been persecuted. I've been imprisoned. I've, I've been in want and need. There have been nights where I went to bed hungry, not knowing what the next thing I was going to eat and, and what it was all about. And Paul says, I've, I've been on both sides of it. I need to tell you something about contentment. Neither one of those things brings it. Contentment is not dependent on your outside circumstances. Because Paul says, I've been content with a lot, and I've been content with a little. So, so obviously, it doesn't have anything to do with your outside circumstances in life. And so, here's, here's what Paul says. I, I like this. He says, it's, I got a secret for you. You ready for this? Everybody lean in right quick. <laughs> the secret to contentment. Let me read it to you. Philippians 4, verse 13. I can do all of this through Christ who gives me strength. Contentment is found in Jesus. I hate to bust your bubble, but Tim Tebow did not write that verse. (laughs) Isn't that like the athlete's favorite verse? (laughs) I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But but what's crazy is it's it's taken so out of context, right? This is in the context of being content. This does not mean that through Christ I can hit a home run over the fence because he gives me strength. It doesn't mean that I can throw a 99-yard touchdown pass because I have the strength of Jesus in my right arm. It doesn't mean that I can hit a buzzer beater or I can throw a no-hitter because I am channeling my inner Jesus power to do that. I can do all things as an athlete who gives me strength and that is Jesus. That's not what it means. Paul says, you want to know how I can be content and live a rich life? You want to know how I can be content with nothing? You want to know how I can can be content when I'm persecuted in the bottom of the jail cell and how I can be content when I'm living in the palace as the king's right hand man persecuting Christians, here's the deal, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's found in Jesus. Surprise, (laughs) this sermon's about Jesus. Where am I going to do? How can you live a life like that? How can you find joy and commit contentment? And how can you have happiness? And how can you have satisfaction? You don't understand that it comes from things on the outside. You come, it comes from a relationship with Jesus when he changes your heart. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Here's what Paul said. When you acknowledge the source, it changes everything. <laughs> like, when you acknowledge that you're living life and you're with God, right, That changes everything. You are content. When you're with the creator, when you're with the provider, when you're with the the sustainer, there are no worries. There is no no striving and pushing and trying to grab for the next thing. Like you're with the provider, right? When I take my kids to go get ice cream, they're not worried about who's going to pay for it. Like when they're with dad, they know. I'm going to pay for it. I'll even pay for sprinkles to go on top. We're a baller like that, the ice cream place. They don't have to worry about it. Man, if we understood that life was really brief, if we understood that we have to look in the right place, my daughter doesn't look for the girl at the ice cream counter for contentment. She doesn't look in the cone for contentment. She she looks at the source. She looks at who's picking up the tab. She looks at the provider and the sustainer in her life. And Paul says, look, we can do all things. You want to know how to know contentment? You want to know? Look at the provider. Look at the sustainer. Look at the one that has actually never left you, never forsaken you, always provided, always made it happen. He gives us what we need. God knows what our needs are and He knows when we need them. Look to the provider. Look to Jesus. Look look to what He's done and what He's given us. Like He's enough, man. (laughs) Like He's the gift. In Jesus, you can be settled, you can have that satisfaction and that joy in life. And I'm not talking about on the weekends. I'm not talking about on vacation, I'm talking about today. I'm talking about tomorrow when you get back to work. I'm talking about when you're eating the smashed peanut butter and jelly sandwich and not the steak. I'm talking about in the middle of winter when you're not at the beach and you had not been working out. I'm talking about when you got your work clothes on, not when you got the brand new outfit on. Contentment can be obtained through Jesus. I gotta, I just, can I just ask you a question? Does that not sound appealing? <laughs> Is that not better than what we've been doing for so long? Chasing a goal that seems so unobtainable. Reaching that goal and realizing that it's empty, that we don't have contentment, and then we got to continue to work to try to reach the next level. Doesn't that sound awesome? Doesn't that sound good when, when Paul says, you know, you can have it on Monday morning. You can have it at work or at the beach. You can have it whether you have a lot or a little or you're in prison or you're on the top of the hill. Like You can have contentment found in Jesus. So many people are on an endless search for happiness in their life. They're just they're striving and straining towards contentment and unfortunately, too many people are looking in the wrong spot. Life is short. Don't waste it, living a life in discontent. Make sure that you're looking in the right place as you pursue this life of contentment and remember who you're with. Remember the provider. Remember the sustainer that loves you. And I hope that for you, contentment is not some elusive prize that you spend your entire life hoping one day to obtain. But that you understand the fact that it can be found in God through his son, Jesus. And you and I can experience that contentment not only today, but every day.